This is Ethan Siegel, and welcome back to the Starts With a Bang podcast. The universe as we observe it today is a tremendously rich and diverse place consisting of planets, stars, galaxies, clusters of galaxies, and on the largest scales, an incredible cosmic web tying everything together into a huge network spanning the entire observable universe. But what we see today isn't a good reflection of what the universe was like billions of years ago. If we were to step back in time to the very young universe, we would see something tremendously different from what we see today. Instead of large-scale structure being this intricate, well-defined network with huge cosmic voids separating filaments where galaxies lined them and clustered existed at the nexuses, we would find that clusters were much smaller, that the intersection of the filaments was much fewer and far between, that galaxies were sparser and smaller and less evolved, that the stars in them were younger, and that there were fewer of them. In addition, stellar evolution, the process of which heavy elements are built up in stars, happen less and less and less. The earlier we go in time, the more pristine the universe is. In order to form the universe as we know it today, full of all the heavy elements that life and planets rely on, we need to have formed them, and the way to do that is in previous generations of stars. When gravitation pulls enough matter into a single location, you can form a star by igniting nuclear fusion at its core. At high enough pressures and temperatures, you can begin to fuse helium out of original hydrogen hydrogen elements. And as you do that, as you reach higher and higher temperatures at later stages of evolution, you can build up the heavy elements in the periodic table. Carbon, oxygen, neon, eventually getting to silicon, sulfur, iron, nickel, and cobalt. And if you create a supernova at the end of a massive enough star's life, you can send the full complement of known naturally occurring elements from the periodic table back into the interstellar medium where they can take place in the formation of future generations of stars and planets. So if we extrapolate back to an early enough time, we can ask a fundamental question. What was the universe like before any stars had formed? What we would find is that once you form neutral atoms, once after the Big Bang the universe cools enough, you have a universe that's about 75% hydrogen and 25% helium by mass. But it takes tens of millions of years for gravity to take the largest density fluctuation, the most overdense region, which is just a tiny fraction of a percent denser, containing more matter than average, to pull all of that matter into one place enough so that you can actually ignite fusion in that region, so that you can form the universe's first star. It's a process that's entirely reliant on gravitation and also on the amount of time it takes matter to cool and radiate that excess heat away so it can form an actual star. 
One of the great milestones astronomers would love to achieve would be to see the very first star ever formed in the universe. But there's a tremendous obstacle to that. The very first stars are invisible. Why? After all, they're producing light. You ignite fusion, the light makes it to the surface of the star and then radiates out into space. But when that happens in a universe surrounded and filled with neutral atoms, those atoms are going to absorb the starlight. In order for light to actually pass through the universe, the universe needs to become what we call reionized again. All of those neutral atoms that are blocking the light, just like dust can block some light, we need the electrons to be kicked off of those atoms. We need the universe to become transparent to visible light. Until that happens, the first stars, even though they exist and even though they shine as they burn through their fuel, are invisible to astronomers today. So if we want to see these first stars directly, if we want to measure the light coming from them, we need for reionization to occur. And that brings up the important question, if we need reionization, if we need to kick these electrons off of the atoms permeating the interstellar and intergalactic medium, what's going to do that? In other words, what's responsible for reionizing the universe? So you might think then, if we need to reionize the universe and we have these stars, perhaps it's these first stars that do it. After all, stars don't only produce visible light, but they produce light all over the electromagnetic spectrum, down into the infrared and up in higher energies into the ultraviolet. Ultraviolet radiation is what's capable of knocking electrons off of atoms, ionizing them. And so it makes sense to ask, could these first stars be responsible for reionizing the universe? Well, in astronomy, in any science, if you want to know the answer, it's not enough to simply give a qualitative answer. You have to quantify it. You have to run the numbers, do the calculations, make the observations, and figure out is it producing enough ultraviolet radiation to make all of these neutral atoms ionized and transparent to light? And the answer is no. The first stars won't do it. In order to get there, you need something producing far more light than that. You need the first galaxies to be responsible for reionizing the universe. The way you form the first galaxies is either through the collapse of very large clouds of gas to form the first star clusters, which will later merge with others to form the first proto-galaxies, or you need those actual mergers to occur. You need for gas clouds to find each other, merge together, and trigger large amounts of star formation. It's not individual stars or even very large stars that are responsible for it, but huge collections of stars that are required to reionize the universe. That's what we need. We need the first galaxies, and we need them in great abundance. But with that, we can generate enough ultraviolet radiation that not only are these electrons kicked off of the intervening atoms, but all of the starlight can now stream through. And even as the expansion of the universe redshifts it, if we look at the proper wavelengths today, we should be able to discover it. So how are we going to see this signal? What we need to do is look with 
infrared eyes from space. The reason you go to space is because the atmosphere is going to block most of the infrared light and you want to gather as much as possible. And the reason you look in the infrared isn't because these stars emit, these stars and first galaxies emit infrared light. They don't primarily, they emit visible and even ultraviolet radiation, but because the expansion of the universe stretches those wavelengths of light, infrared as the universe expands is where we need to look because that's the wavelength of that light by time we get to today. This light is going to come from when the universe was even 1% or even less of its current age. So if we want to see it now, we have to look for what it's become, not what it was when it was emitted. And James Webb Space Telescope is going to be the way to do that. Yet even though James Webb doesn't launch until next year, until 2018, we still know a tremendous amount about the first galaxies today and about reionization. With as far back as we can see, with telescopes like Hubble and Spitzer using visible and infrared in combination, we can tell where the universe becomes fully reionized. We can look at things called its optical depth and see when this early neutral dust begins absorbing light. We can look and see where the absorption becomes more and more complete, and we can look and see when the last pockets of fully reionized universe begin to disappear. What we've determined, this is how we found that it is galaxies and not individual stars that are responsible for reionization. When we look out at the distant universe, though, we're not seeing all of the galaxies that are out there. We're only seeing the ones that our instruments are capable of seeing, which means the farther back we look in space and in time, we're only seeing the brightest galaxies, the ones that are most easily discovered. So when we say we've got a new cosmic record holder, galaxy GZ11, which occurred, which sends its light to us from only 0.4 billion years after the Big Bang, and our universe today is 13.8 billion years old, that's not the most distant galaxy ever. It's just the brightest one at that distance whose light can travel to us unimpeded through a mostly reionized universe. Why? Probably just serendipity. There's probably nothing special about it. But as we go to greater telescope heights, as we build larger telescopes capable of looking farther into the infrared, taking advantage of more and more light that it can gather, that's going to be the key to seeing far Thanks to a new technique around the most massive galaxy clusters identified in the Hubble Frontier Fields program, we can use the phenomenon of gravitational lensing, where these incredibly massive clusters act like a lens, magnifying the light from space behind them by up to a factor of 10 or even more, we can see now fainter early galaxies than we've ever seen before. A new technique developed by scientist Rachel Livermore is shedding light on this and allowing us to see the faintest galaxies. We can confirm from these observations 
that these are the objects responsible for reionization in the universe. But what James Webb Space Telescope is going to do is show us the first galaxies and reionization history back even farther. Instead of looking at about half a billion years, we're going to be able to see, instead of a redshift of 9, 10, or 11, we're going to see back to a redshift of 15 or even 20. We're going to see the first galaxies back to an age of when the universe was between 200 and under 300 million years old. These will be the earliest galaxies ever discovered and may be representative of truly the very first ones ever created in our universe. But the first galaxies themselves, as early as they may be, are not truly the first stars. The very first stars will form even earlier than that. Based on our best theories of structure formation and the observations of large-scale structure and the fluctuations in the cosmic microwave background that gave rise to this structure, we can look at the largest cosmic microwave background fluctuations on the smallest scales. We can look at the physics of how overdense regions grow over time. We can look at how nonlinear or runaway growth occurs and leads us on the path to forming stars. When you reach densities large enough to ignite fusion, when are you going to get there? According to our best models, the true first stars in the universe are likely to occur between a redshift of 30 and 50, probably closer to 50, when the universe was only about 50 million years old. If it's a little later, like a redshift of 30, the universe might be 100 million years old by that time. But this is only theory. We don't have any current prospects for detecting radiation in a neutral universe out that far. The closest thing we have to hope to finding it is the hope of building a giant radio telescope in space by looking at 21 centimeter hydrogen. This is a spin-flip transition in neutral hydrogen. We can possibly detect when this first reionization occurred by looking at changes in that emission line. As the first stars form, they'll affect the neutral hydrogen, which will affect the 21 centimeter background. Even today, if we say, well, we think this happened at a redshift of 50, this means we need to look for wavelengths not of 21 centimeters, but because of redshift of about 10 or 11 meters in length. Huge, huge length. We've never built a space telescope that large before. But if we did, that would be the way to directly detect this type of radiation from the very first stars. When we look back to these great distances, we're also looking at the universe as it was back in time. This is the closest we can come to learning about our own past and our own history. The first stars may have formed everywhere in the universe between 50 and maybe one or 200 million years of age, but that happened here too. Although our cosmic Milky Way only has the survivors left. The first stars are either all gone or so thoroughly evolved and so few in number that they're not possible to be found, certainly not possible to be found as they were back then. This is still the closest we can come to learning about our own history. 
although even the James Webb Space Telescope won't be able to see the first stars, the very first ones, perhaps it will teach us enough about what the universe was like in the past to allow us to infer exactly when and maybe even exactly where those first stars actually occurred. As Garth Illingsworth said, we're going to learn more in one day from James Webb Space Telescope than mankind currently knows about the first galaxies. And from that, it will be on to the first stars and the true moment where the first light in the universe began to tell the story of how heavy elements, complex molecules, planets, and eventually human beings would come into existence. The Starts With a Bang podcast is made possible through the generous donations of our Patreon supporters. I'd like to thank everyone contributing to the Starts With a Bang Patreon campaign at the $5 and above level for helping make this podcast possible. Thanks to Bakhtiar, Kathy Reese, Robert J. Hansen, Thomas Sola, Denier, Kevin Freehart, Arthur F., Marcelo Barnaba, Jason Besanceni, Nick Tomlinson, Rafal Wojcik, Pedro Texera, Danny, Denise Arnaud, Gaijin, Bob Wilson, Andrew T. Douglas, Richard Jousey, Chris Hilly, Weller Tractor Salvage, Mark Armstrong, Kevin Barnes, Patrick Dennis, Chris Shaw, Radek Nesbida, Ian Lamb, James Nance, Joe McFarland, Amira Sosnick, Rachel Merritt, Sidney Atwood, Christopher Wetmore, Willie Keplinger, Jose Henrique, Harry Plumley, John Methot, Nathan Hanna, Thomas All, Glenn McDavid, Benjamin Turner, David Taschioni, Joe Latone, Philip Radilovic, DGE, John Seal, Braxton Thomason, Karen Garrison, and Zarko Opachik. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and I'll see you back here next time for more Starts With a Bang. Bang.